0: Welcome to Lamnaforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lamnaforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today, I am joined by Jay Kohler of Juan Bond. Juan Bond just released their debut album, Womb, on January 1st, after originally planning for a spring of 2020 release you can understand why it was delayed. Womb is a hyperactive and dizzying listen that mixes highly technical hardcore with experimental rock and orchestral instrumentation. I was delighted to talk to Jay about the path through music school, through rap rock bands, and studying with members of Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum that led him to this record and the eclectic material therein. Thank you for listening. You're lucky that it's a very bad basketball game on right now because it's the start of the season and
1: oh, I was damn. hoping
0: for it to be good, but lucky for you, my attention is entirely focused on this interview instead.
1: Oh, awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry and
0: glad. <laughs> I take it then that you're not a basketball fan?
1: I'm not somebody who's like anti-sport. I think a lot of people in music are like, fuck sports. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I grew up a very sport like a sporty person I play like all the sports so I actually you know I kind of like basketball if someone's like you want to go to a basketball game well you know and it wasn't COVID I'd be like yeah I'll go like I'll enjoy it but I just don't follow it same with like football and things like mm-hmm. I I will enjoy it like I will watch the Super Bowl and especially like when it is like the Patriots because thing mean, it's you know that like that like feverish sports fandom is in my blood from being England so like it, it's just there and so he, I, you know, I wouldn't follow the season at all, but like Paige's being in the Super Bowl, you know, and I'm like flipping people off and like, fuck <laughs> you, Tom Brady, Tom Brady's the best, man. He's the GOAT.
0: This is no. another thing that's working out in my benefit is the fact that I am like a diehard Celtics hater. So the yeah. fact that you're not like a, a, a basketball person is like another, whew, thank God. <laughs> Cause that yeah, I
1: was I'm I'm like oh yeah I I'm like well okay. it's there's it's something from The Simpsons like Marge is like can't they just like like something can't like the competition be who has the best time or something <laughs> That's how I feel about sports like can't we just all have like a good time it doesn't matter who wins
0: <laughs> So you grew up in Massachusetts
1: Yeah in no, southeastern Massachusetts Somerset Massachusetts specifically right next to fall river massachusetts which like more people know because it's you know it's a it's a rough place it's also has that fucking lizzie borden legend
0: i don't know if i know this please tell me this
1: lady she supposedly killed her parents with an axe and she went to try it was her parent yeah and she went to trial and um she got acquitted and it kind of just turned into this legend and like you can a night in the, the house and it's supposedly haunted i mean they're crime scene photos but they're from like the late 1800s and i don't know it just got like i think it was like a court case that at the time got national attention like people think that's like a recent phenomenon but like that's happened like mm-hmm. long ago
0: <laughs> i mean thinking of other like massachusetts trials that have like tourist attractions you know there's like obviously like the salem witch trials and whatnot that like but yeah
1: i was the church musician at the church that Started that whole thing.
0: No shit. (laughs) As
1: always, I mean now it's uh, I God, I forget the name of the actual church, (laughs) Um, which is funny. But it was in Danvers, Massachusetts, which used to be part of Salem, Massachusetts. And they told me that they're like, yeah, this is where the this is the church that that started that whole thing. Like, oh, don't wow. And now it's like some super progressive like church. It was like actually a really cool experience really awesome people in that congregation even though i'm not religious myself and learning like gospel tunes and shit like that is you know
0: was that how you first started playing music no that
1: was like a couple years ago
0: oh shit okay
1: yeah i've i've like worked as a gigging musician here and there sometimes doing like pretty much only music related things sometimes not doing any (laughs) music related things but yeah i do things like i played at that church every sunday yeah we just did like i like pretended to play piano because like I can kind of play piano a little bit I had to learn hymns it was kind of like fun it was like a real big challenge and just like a weird environment to be in uh, but that's where the work was and I did a church gig once in like New Jersey <laughs> there was a big I, I forget what happened there was a big a big fuck up I don't know I think I suddenly had to play a song on piano that I didn't know I had to play
0: so it was like one of those things Sure. And the congregation did not take well to it. Is that what you're saying? They didn't notice.
1: They They were like, Jason, that was very nice. And then some old lady was like, Jason, do you live in the village? Which I thought was a funny question. I was like, no. I'm like, people like me don't live in
0: the village anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you start playing music then?
1: Elementary school, I really loved the Beatles so much. Like obsessively. So my dad had a snare drum. And I would just like kind of wail on it while watching the Beatles movies. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Mm
1: I had an inflatable guitar from like a carnival, like an iron play strum. And then fifth grade, I don't remember what happened. I was like, mom, I need to play saxophone. I need to play saxophone. And I did. And I did not like my teacher. He confused me. My kid brain couldn't understand like what he was trying to tell me with how I was playing wrong. So then in like sixth grade, I wanted to be a rapper and <laughs> that carried on for like two years. Um, and then eighth grade.
0: Well, I, I've I've got to stop you right there. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh,
1: we can we can talk about this.
0: <laughs> Who were you trying to rap like? Like, why being a rapper? Well,
1: first it was Eminem because I mean, so sixth grade was for me was uh, two thousand. So Eminem was like just like the celebrity. He was mm-hmm. so famous, and I just liked it. <laughs> I don't know. I I, I really took to it and still kind of appreciate what I liked about it um and it is kind of funny though I was 11 and listening to like those lyrics because like now like like I work with kids now and so I'm like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) like I can't believe my mom let me listen to this like but I was like a goody two-shoes kid so I like I knew what they were talking about was bad and I wouldn't ever like I always knew it wasn't serious um so like I got into Eminem and then just I've always got like obsessively interested in things like I got to learn everything about them so I started digging deep on Eminem because the internet was around it was slow but it was still there and then I found out about Dr. Dre and then I found out about Death Row Records I was 12 and like buying like Death Row's greatest hits like I loved gangster Rap so like, <laughs> I know it was it was kind of in a little bit to to, you know like that stuff but I don't know I really it's funny I always think about that and how I like try to emulate it and like I started yeah I started dressing with like bandanas and shit (laughs) I had to and I wrote, wrote raps that were bad and uh had Well, I had a rap group, but, like, it it was just, like, everyone who, like, your first 12 bands, like, you say, let's start a band, and, like, you don't ever actually start a band.
0: (laughs) Right. It's a thing that you can say to other kids in school that you do. Yeah, I'm in a band.
1: Like, when you practice, like, we're still figuring that out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so, after the rapper phase ended, what did you move on to next?
1: I, like, remember the transition pretty distinctly. It was eighth grade, and I started to make this transition to rock music, because my sister got into Linkin Park, so, like, I was really into Tupac at the time, really into Tupac, and the rapping, you know, (laughs) doesn't have much in common with Tupac, but, like, just rapping itself, like, to my eighth grade mind sounded similar, so I was like, oh, this is cool, and I got really into Linkin Park. Like, for a couple months, hybrid theory was probably all I listened to, and then I had to know all the B-sides and all the demos, so, like, (laughs) that behavior started so early on for me, and then, you know, I really took after my sister with a lot of the music stuff because then she started listening to 311 and I was like this is weird this sucks and <laughs> I didn't like it and then I don't know it's just and this is kind of the thing that's always remained true to me is that in something I think is odd or I don't get I kind of need to know more about it and I kind of need to listen to it maybe I'm just not understanding it I gotta I gotta know what's going on here so I started listening to 311 and then like for the next how old was I? <laughs> For the next almost like 10 years, like I just was like, that was my favorite band. Like that was just my existence was 311, going to 311 shows. Like I went every year, even when I like started to learn a lot about music and kind of (laughs) knew, like felt like I understood why people think they're so goofy and silly because they are, you know, I still enjoyed it and like still to this day enjoy it and named my band after their, one of their songs. We'll get to that. Yeah, so I got really into 311 in eighth grade. And then I don't, I don't really don't know. Oh wait, no, I know how this happened. Now I'm thinking about it. My music teacher brought a bass to class and then she put some like tab of like, what did we have? Louis, Louis. Oh God, da, 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 smoking on the water and uh, Iron Man. <laughs> and I could do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is awesome. And my mom had an acoustic guitar at home. So I don't know the order of this. I either went home and started learning chords or I asked my friends to start a band before that. Something, (laughs) it really didn't matter because again, the band never, it never happened. Like, (laughs) I think I was like, I'm going to play guitar. And then when I do, we're going to have a band. (laughs) I started learning like things on acoustic guitar and then I started learning tablature and like learning 311 songs. And then I just Started begging for an electric guitar and i got one and then i actually saw 311 in concert it was the <laughs> the sprite liquid mix tour i mean jesus christ what a what a dated title <laughs> holy moly is that early 2000s the sprite liquid mix tour like this is
0: right awesome <laughs> so, so branded you know
1: yeah and 311 was playing 311 and jay-z
0: headlined that is such a weird bill. What the fuck?
1: Uh, I regret not saving Jay-Z, but at the time I like, I don't know. For some reason I like 311, but didn't like rap anymore. Just like being a stupid eighth grader. Didn't make any sense. But I remember who else played? N.E.R.D., so like Pharrell's band, mm-hmm. which was like cool, especially in retrospect, because he wasn't such a mega, like he was still, he was producing like huge songs, but like he wasn't such a megastar yet at the time. Nappy Roots played, I don't know if people remember, that band they had what was that the song oh no hell no y'all got up and done it that rap song it was like a it was obscure hit who else hoobastank played and people heckled them i remember that they're like keep trying to sell like incubus fuck you
0: (laughs) (laughs) i had never i see this is like a whole wing of late 90s early 2000s rock music that i i don't I was more of just like the straight up nu metal kind of kid. So like definitely Linkin Park, System of Down, Korn, all that stuff. But like the slightly lighter, like Incubus, 311, Mm -hmm. Hoobastank, it's like over my head. Like I have no experience with it really.
1: I came to heavy music so backwardsly because like I liked music like 311 and stuff for a while and continuing to play guitar. Yeah, after I saw them for the first time, I started going nuts about guitar and starting a band. And just started playing a lot and took lessons. And after you know a few months of lessons, got really into lessons and just started like practicing feverishly and joining all the music stuff in school, and mm. buying CDs all the time, watching music videos all the time. And just music was just like it was just all I did or thought about really. And uh, you know, I I started to throw more bands in the mix. Like shortly after 311, it was Led Zeppelin. Really into Led Zeppelin. Learned a whole bunch of their shit. And then came like Incubus, Tool. I got so into Tool in a perfect circle. Like, really into them.
0: <clears throat> That's definitely a band you get into as you start to think you've figured some shit out. You know? It's like, <laughs>
1: I know. <laughs> like, dude, I relate to these Tool lyrics, Mom. I know what I'm
0: talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Fibonacci sequence? You know? Yeah, Vader
1: <laughs> wrote the lyrics in the Fibonacci sequence, Mom. <laughs> this is art you know it's funny my mom is actually very like sweet and would li- actually op- listen to my music with an open mind be like i like this <laughs> and would take me to all shows is very she's she's a huge part of why i like could get into the music way i did because she was the one taking me to see mm-hmm. a perfect circle and 311 and she took me to see so many so many shows um i think less claypool i might have gone to that one on my own i think it was a senior Uh, high school.
0: So where exactly were you going to see these shows? Was it like up to Boston or how far were you going?
1: Uh, Providence is the closest city, but no one plays Providence. Providence is really close. It's like 15 miles away, but like by car, it's like 20 minutes. So when I started playing shows, Providence was like my city. And really, I guess you could say my town kind of was a suburb of Providence because it was only like three towns away. Yeah. So you had to go to Providence um, they probably weren't playing Providence. So Boston, but you probably didn't want to go to Boston because you didn't want to like have to park there. Yeah, you'd probably go uh, Mansfield, Massachusetts, which is close to where, or is where the Patriots play now. It's where Gillette Stadium is. I don't I don't know. Um, it's around that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Mansfield is uh, where they, what's it called? Oh my God. I, th- I think it last. it's called the Xfinity Center now. It used to be called the Tweeter Center. It used to be called Great Woods before that. So you had to go up there or to Worcester. A lot of shows would come to Worcester, but wouldn't come to Providence, which is kind of strange. it Must make sense with the routing or something. Right. Um, but Worcester had a huge, yeah, huge venue. I saw a perfect circle there.
0: Is that the Palladium in Worcester, or am I getting my venues mixed up?
1: One small, I think the Palladium's a small. The centr yeah, the Palladium's a small one. The Centrum is the big one.
0: Uh huh. Okay.
1: But yeah, I saw like a perfect circle there, and. I don't even remember who opened. Jesus Christ, is this weird getting at that age? One. I'm like, oh, what the, when, like who played? <laughs> Where, what happened? <laughs> I remember that, that show was, that was like 2004. Yeah, so like at the same time, I'm just playing guitar, I'm writing songs, I'm getting friends who are just into music, like really creating like a music bubble. Like it's kind of all we do after school. Me and my friend um, Randy, who I ended up being in a hip hop band with for, for some time. We just, after school, we just like, go to his house or my house and watch music videos just like because it was like the days where on demand it was like a new thing like you can, mm-hmm. you can choose what you watch on television dude it's sick like <laughs> you know so you go to the music videos and we just play the list i still like i do really do have nostalgia for this time like you would hear the single and go buy the cd and then sometimes the cd would suck and then sometimes it'd be really great and sometimes it'd be okay so, uh, I was just thinking about that today. I remember buying this the Franz Ferdinand CD and being like horribly disappointed because I heard the song right. of, like Donuts or something. So this is it, like the
0: Take, take me, me Out, out era. Yeah.
1: yeah, I remember being psyched. I was like, "Yo, this band is cool." And then I bought it. it was like everything. Oh, nah, <laughs> I don't like. I don't like this. Uh, apologies to anyone who likes them, but I just remember being so disappointed.
0: <laughs> right. This is like just before file sharing became like totally accessible to where it's like we could start skipping the line and being like okay now i know that this album is bad so i don't have to spend money on it
1: yeah we were all doing it but it was just like it was only a few friends had like fast enough internet and even their internet by today's standards probably wasn't that fast mm-hmm. and they were starting to crack down at that time and like there were kind of periods where you it would seem at least in the news that they were being hyper aggressive but i mean i've gotten a warning before I got a warning for downloading an album I own legally. (laughs) For Light Grenades by Incubus. An album that, like, again, I I mean, like, there's a couple songs I like, but I don't really enjoy (laughs) it. Like, that one, I'm going to get a warning. I'm going to go to jail for light grenades. (laughs) There's like five good songs on it. And that's that's not bad for an album, but it's not my favorite.
0: It's not jail worthy. That's for sure. It's not jail worthy.
1: And I bought it. I bought it. And I remember being disappointed when I bought it.
0: (laughs) So when did you start, like, were you playing shows in this high school band? Like when did it start being an actual thing that you could say like existed in the world and wasn't just something you could tell your friends you were doing?
1: We did some, like, we recorded some songs with like a fucking Walmart microphone, like borrowed a drum set from a friend and put it in like my tiny, tiny, I grew up in a really small house and it was just, it's really comical to think about now, but we put <laughs> the fucking Walmart mic, like on top of the computer, like desk, and just like, I pirated Cool Edit Pro, which I think is now like Adobe edition. And I, <laughs> we just did, we did a, and it was just really funny. We wrote we wrote a couple songs and we did that. I wrote, we recorded some songs for like a girl I liked. I think 11th grade I, char- I started a band, Fargo Housing Project which is still a pretty good name.
0: Yeah, Uh, that uh, is a good band name.
1: The uh, saxophone player in that band came up with that. Yeah, it was kind of like, that was about the time I started to get really into Primus and Les Claypool and started to like branch out into weirder shit. Like, and there was this local band called Groove of Small I loved and I still love, highly recommended listening with a band that just like didn't get the attention it really needed to because it's, it's, you know, it's truly, truly unique stuff. They, you know, I started getting to them and just get a little, branch out a little more. Um, into, I think I started hearing, listening to some jazz, and uh, fr- like friends who had fast internet would give me like the dump of songs they pirated. You know, because <laughs> I had a slow internet, so they give me like a CD, like check all this shit out. And so you know, my taste started to expand, and I started Fargo Housing Project, and Roe. That was really the start of Juan Bond. Really is that? That's around like 2005, 2006. It's like me being like, here's a song I wrote. Like, let's do something with it. And that was also I started notating music because my music started to get a lot more complicated. So my bandmates couldn't understand the demos, <laughs> <laughs> like where the rhythms were. Just it just I would just be me playing guitar. Like, come on, it's easy. <laughs> Come on, man, it, you know, so I started notating it because I had remembered how to notate from when I played saxophone, and uh, I was in the music stuff in school, so I had, you know, I still was looking at it, it was still kind of reading music, Um, so I downloaded some, like, free notation software, and uh, I don't know, I started doing that, and then that started to be part of Fargo Housing Project. That band, like, I think we played, like, a birthday party and played two talent shows, two Battle of the Bands. Mm-hmm band or one like showcase and one battle of the bands of the high school we covered there there by radiohead i remember that
0: Ooh, tasty choice
1: yeah yeah so like that's kind of where my head was at i wore like an iron chef t-shirt and pajama pants and sandals on stage and a bowl hat like what the fuck man it was like pure 2006 (laughs) like like weirdo kid in high school
0: So what were the were there other bands like in your general area that you would play shows with or like what it
1: felt like we all had bands, but we were all just kinda of like nobody could make it to Providence to the show, to play a show. I don't know, no one would get their parents' permission or no one had a car. Um mm-hmm. so very little real shows happened. There were some bands that like you thought were like popular, or, like when you're in high school, like, oh that's a popular band and like it's just like the popular kids have a band and you know, they play at mm-hmm. parties and stuff like that, and they play, or they might play at a bar, right? They may play covers, and you're like, "Oh my God, they got a gig at a bar! They made like four hundred dollars! Oh my God!" And <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't like last very long. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so, so yeah, I did, and then for years, just tried to get a band together. Once that didn't work out, I in uh, college got together a band called Something About Horses which was more experimental because at that point I had kind of like crossed over into like weird shit (laughs) like I went to music school I got really into Frank Zappa more into stuff like Grievous Mall, which is like what like at least their last album was like kind of like really experimental progressive rock that's kind of
0: like aggressive in a way. Would you go to school for music performance or composition? Like, what was your focus in music? I started as,
1: well, I did a semester of classical guitar, transferred from that school, did three semesters of jazz guitar, and then finally switched to composition, Mm -hmm. which is what I wanted to do. Um, And was writing, really, the stuff that became the stuff I write now for that band Something About Horses and occasionally for, like, classical ensembles and jazz ensembles. I did experiment a little with that, but I was mostly writing like rock, like progressive rock songs for like large rock orchestras, like really weird ensembles, like kind of like Frank Zappa, but just like a little more in your face. I still wasn't into heavy music, but I was into like noisier shit, you know? Yeah. So I went to to school for that and got, you know, got into avant garde music and experimental music. I took like an intro to electronic music class because I thought it was going to be about like producing and stuff. And no, it was, like, the history of electronic music, which, like, goes back, like, further than people think. We started with, like, Luigi Russo and his fucking noise machines. Do you know about that guy?
0: <laughs> uh, my, sure? I'm sure, like, this is, like, dredging up memories from my music school past. Like, as far back as I can remember, my notes going is more like Stockhausen. And so, pre that, I'm, I, this one, oh, I'm got of all the time.
1: He's so fucking weird. He's pre, Yeah, he's, like, really, I think, 1910s. He's just, like, futurist. He, like, just thinks music's just going to be noise in the future, and he's just, like, stoked on it. And he made <laughs> – there's a picture. Someone posted it. I think – I forget who posted it on Facebook recently. Um, I think it was someone in the math world. It was. It's a picture of him with his noise machines, which are these boxes with speakers on them, and some of them have cranks. And, like, if you listen to – you sh- you need to listen to Luigi Russo's music. It's just, like, fucked up beyond belief. Like, you just – like why would anyone want to listen to this and then you're like and that makes it just so awesome like that just makes it so cool because it's just so alien and just like what the fuck it it's just kind of it's bad time music but if you like that like you really should hear it it's fucking far out so it's we started with stuff like that and um oh, I, the first piece we listened to was just a bunch of train sounds like cut up It's like from the fucking 30s um and i don't remember who who wrote that one but we looked at like experimental tape music like where people were cutting up tape of like sound effects and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. the first like real famous one we listened to was it's gonna rain by steve reich where he put like the speech by a preacher it's this phrase it's gonna rain and he has it on two tape machines and one is just slightly behind the other
0: right the phase music idea Yeah. yeah
1: the phase music shit which i was like i first i was like oh this is stupid this isn't music and he showed us that and I was like well this is kind of cool and then he just started I don't know his name was Ken Wayno he's kind of like in the classical world he's kind of known you know he so he's like this is very like smart and like I don't know just like this guy has a way about him like he's a very unique character but he just started talking about music and how composition works and what all music has in common and he was just taking saying how it's like sound over time and I don't know I just liked that idea of thinking about music that way. And then suddenly everything looked different to me. And I remember before that, I was never able to really finish songs. I had a couple that were finished, but I i don't know. I just like really would always hit a wall with a lot of what I wrote. But when I started thinking about it like that, it kind of just opened up all possibilities to me. And I started writing kind of like feverishly after that. And hmm. through college, I wrote a lot of music. And some of it got played by something about horses, um, but that band didn't work out. I had a couple other bands, I had like a rock band. We we had, we had went through a couple names, Ploy <laughs> was the first name of us. And then the Cartesian Circle, which is, that's such a college band name if I have ever heard of it. So for <laughs> one show we called ourselves Fear Boner, which is still the fucking just best. That that, that name is Mwah, Fear Boner. If someone's got to do it, you have, I'm going to just say on behalf of the, those members, you have our permission. <laughs> please, please go forth and name your band fear boner listeners
0: um, go for it yes
1: there was some like fucking older like boomer dude at the show who saw it he's like fear boner he's like sounds of my wedding night
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs>
1: we had it on the fucking we taped it with masking tape on my fucking like starter kit drum set I, mm-hmm. and like I had just decided to go back to playing drums too so like we were very good <laughs> we got better we really did get better we wrote actually some good music but you know, we played uh, in Providence. That band started playing in Providence, and then it was at the tail end of college, where some a friend from Randy who I mentioned earlier, um, my friend in high school, we'd like listen to music all the time and shit. You know, we you know eventually like started playing music after school because Randy sang and rapped and then he started playing bass so like we just do that every day after school and so you know fast forward to 2010 like my last year of college we had been in like bands before and played like someone's birthday party but we've never been in a real band and just Randy hit me up He was like hey man I'm starting a band with some guys from back home and you know I want to be in it and then that was the start of this band Son of Sound. So we started practicing at the college. I went to UMass Dartmouth. And it was like, really, that was the first time like I had a band where you felt like musical chemistry. It was like, really, it was like, especially like being young when that happens. I think it's like, it's a really new feeling. Um, because we started writing like immediately. Like we just all got in a room and just like, voom, like, like really quickly, uh, which doesn't happen a lot. And it was like, you know, like a rap rock thing, but it just felt like we were kind of doing it in like, you know, a new way. And we started writing music and then we started playing shows and we really played, we started playing Providence a whole lot. So like my first year after college, I really started playing shows and we did well for a certain amount of time. Like Providence had, um, oh God, and it's gone now. It's so sad. There was a radio station called uh, 95.5 WBRU. I think it's Brown's radio station. And they were like a really big indie rock station. Like they were big in the grunge days and stuff. And like, you know, back when radio was like a real, like kind of powerful industry. In the music world, at least, you know, BRU was kind of like a part of that. So they, you know, they kind of like kept a little of that and really elevated some local bands. Um, they had this thing called the Rock Hunt, which was like their battle of the bands. And they, they really like, cause they had a big audience and would really put like, this is just not, Especially even now, like in any a large platform, giving like no names an audience is like still kind of unheard of. So like because it didn't matter, you just submit your music, and then if you got in, they start playing you on the air, and then our band started getting like requests and shit, and it was like cool. And we didn't we didn't win the fucking thing, <laughs> but <laughs> it was cool. And you know we got some visibility and we got some at least positive local response. And the band continued for a couple of years. We recorded. Two albums, I think a demo.
0: Did you any touring that. on it, or was it just recording?
1: We just played a lot of local shows between Boston and Providence. We played a—I don't know if we were in Rhode Island. Was we were really like a Providence band? We only played Boston maybe twice, um, and then I, you know, I moved to New York away from. I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the time, and I would go back for sun and sound shows so for like two or three years more before it mm-hmm. just got logistically like unfeasible why'd you
0: move to new york
1: well i just wanted to make music a career um in boston i really had i had like this full schedule and i wasn't it was doing okay like money wise but also was like is this it like for for doing the music shit like kind of want more and i just like i kind of i don't know especially when i was younger i had more of a nothing i'm old but just like it was a specific thing for like literally like my early to mid 20s was like i want to do this thing like and it scares the shit out of me. So I'm just going to do it. Like I I got really into a habit of doing those things. So moving to New York just became like a curious thing for me. And also I kind of knew, kind of just had a feeling about it. It might really help the musically, like my career and also just like for the music I want to make and be around. A lot of my friends were leaving Boston. So like, you know, a lot of my music friends, but that it was also weird because the I moved to New York like a few months after Juan Bond at like a final lineup, like very, very shortly after.
0: How did that like cross, because you're describing you had this like rap rock project and then you're writing yeah. Juan Bond on the side. Like how do those two things coexist at that moment?
1: Well, actually, so I forgot that the piece and that that's missing too, is that the same or, shortly after Son of Sound is going on, I brought back something about horses because I wanted to do my own compositions and music because I still was writing a lot. So I eventually did find people, and and then something about horses started playing Boston. We really did start playing Boston, but it just, it just there's so many reasons bands don't work out, like personal reasons, someone's not into the music, um, it just logistically just doesn't work anymore, or you know. So like something about horses fizzled out. We did a few cool things, like we played with Ko Dot, which is cool. I remember being like very proud of that because I liked them a lot.
0: Yeah, that band um, is fucking sick.
1: I got Carla Kilstead from in um, Matthias Bossy from Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum to play on that re- record the one record we did um and because they, they were like my favorite band and still are my favorite one of my favorite bands I was taking like music lessons with them and they contributed to that which was just like especially like what was it, like 24 and it just like really blew my mind like to have your favorite musicians do your shit with you is really a really cool privilege and it's Cool when your heroes are cool. They're not always cool. They are very sweet. And just and I don't know. They did that for me. They tried to they tried to get a, i remember they tried to get us a record deal.
0: With the end or with someone else? With the end. With uh-huh. the end.
1: They did. And uh Carla, I remember was surprised because I talked to the CEO. It's cool. Like it was a really cool thing that she did for us. She's a very sweet lady. That's just like her her like emanating quality. She's very sweet. So she did that for us, and he was and it just like that was 2013 i think so it really had crossed in the era of like you need to have a fan base already kid like we're not we don't take on a band and invest in them anymore you know pretty much like he didn't say he was like the the music's interesting but you gotta have more of a following like it was literally what the rejection was you know it's just times had changed since sleepy time had been around you know like not that you know necessarily it's like nobody's getting swept up and becoming you necessarily going to be famous or anything but you know because that band did like Pretty well. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> say that most people know who they are. But, you know, they, they would maybe invest in a local who's like doing okay. <laughs> you know? right, like, right. Um, and, and try to prop them up. So so that didn't work out and then horses just fizzled out because little logistics really. And and also that was when I was starting to feel the music go in a heavy direction. And, and I don't think half, like half of people in horses at the time weren't really into
0: that. What made you start writing heavier stuff. Like you said that you got into heavy music in kind of like an a way, like how did that come about?
1: I got, well, it's really the, the entry point for me is really like Mike Patton and mm-hmm. like John Zorn, because, you know, knowing, you know, if you're in college, <laughs> you know, you're into mm-hmm. experimental music, like Zo- John Zorn's a guy you're going to know. He's just, you know, he's just kind of the guy right for that. So, you know, he's associated with Mike Patton and I had, I loved Mr. Bungle already. Uh, you know it's like oh Mike Patton does a million bands well that's cool and oh wow he does some of this classical stuff like that's that's cool oh he does this like heavy shit that's cool and like the stuff he has with Zorn is like super noisy and heavy and I liked it a lot and I really noticed you know well in retrospect really noticed a lot of like the alternative music and stuff like grungy music I like before that kind of had elements of that you know like Mm -hmm. 311 and like Smashing Pumpkins, like, have really distorted guitars, you know, and really riffy. They have like pinch harmonics, and you know, like, it's got the trope, some of the metal tropes kind of baked into it,
0: right? Because that's like a whole generation of people who grew up on like the 80s hair metal and like thrash metal scenes that then came around to write more accessible alternative rock like yeah exactly of that
1: it's cool i love that i love thinking about like kind of like cycle of influence like that mm-hmm. um because it's like i'm now going into the things that kind of influence them and in like this weird kind of cyclical way you know so i started to get into like m- give it more of a shot i got really into phantom fuck yeah
0: <laughs> That's my favorite Patton project for sure. I
1: really love Moss. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just amazing and just so. I mean, really, original doesn't even do it fucking justice. I mean, just I love each is a really completely way, different way of thinking about music. Yet still has like these like tropes from like very accessible things and but used in such a cool and creative way. I mean, I love Patton and I love that project. And but that also like introduced me to like those like thrash you know kind of elements. Um, and I did start writing music with like those elements, even though I wasn't listening to any heavy thrash or anything like that. You know, so Pat, and that kind of opens up some of the doors to giving that stuff more a shot. Really seeing Sleepy Time Grill Museum live was really the tipping point for me because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, sometimes they get called metal. They're not really metal, but there's a lot of metal elements in them. There's a lot of black metal influence in Sleepy Time Grill Museum. That, again, it, like, distills down. But I seeing them live, they are really aggressive and really loud live. Yeah. Um, and it's just fucking awesome. I, I just blew my mind. That was, like, I think that was, like, the first time I saw people, like, shouting in person, like, because I always thought that was, like, lame. Like, oh, you know, you can't sing, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> you know, when I was younger, I would think that. But it was so powerful. I'm like, oh, my God, everyone's screaming at the same time. It's so cool. And the whole thing just rocked my fucking world. Like Sleepy Time, that was, I think, 2009. That They be, oh my, they became like an eight band for me, just so sold on everything they were doing. Uh, but that really opened up the kind of doorways, you know, like, so, you know, Mike Patton cracked it open a bit. Sleepy Time opens it more. And then one of my best friends, you know, who I'm still friends with and was in uh, one of those alternative bands with, he was in the employee in the Cartesian circle with me. He was really into hardcore, like hardcore punk, like fucking, you know, like Bridge Nine bands. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it's I, I just think it was just like right place, right time. It just really, it just started. He would, he was always listening to music, and it just started. I just hear it, and it just like started to pique my interest. I'm like, these, like these people are mad. <laughs> like, this is awesome, like, but it's so genuine.
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like there's something about this fucking music that is just. I don't know, and then I was also learning more about John Zorn and how he got super into hardcore music and started Naked City. And it's like, they're really just like, you're learning about things at the right time. You understand the artistic context and you have like a friend who's showing you it. I think like, I forget all the bands like we were listening to, but like, you know, Mind Eraser was definitely one ceremony was the big that band like
0: yeah you're talking to like 2009 then ceremony is gonna come up you know
1: i heard violence violence and i i like i really <laughs> i miss that about being young you hear something and like it, it changes your fucking world like i'm like what what the fuck like i've never heard something so angry like it but it's so genuine like mm-hmm. it was it was a song living hell where he just goes fuck 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 over and over again and like I was just, and it's thirty seconds long, and I was, like, that's awesome, but <laughs> it doesn't need to be longer than that.
0: Right. And I, yeah.
1: my friend, our fucking alternative band covered that song live, and I got to play it on drums, which was just fun. But that it's it's really funny how I'm like got into like this music, you know. So I got really into Ceremony, and I think Ceremony opened me up to giving more things a shot that were heavy. Which is funny that I was, like, really liked Violence, Violence, but didn't like a lot of other heavy shit. Yeah, it's so funny, it's so funny to think about. But, uh, you know, I think of that around that time, I, like, gave Jane Doe and I remember it really kind of rocking my world. I didn't really fall in love with it, but I do remember it just being like, what? Wow. Like, right. it just blew my mind.
0: I mean, all this seems to be leading towards the band that's on your sweater, which is the Dillinger Escape Plan. Like, because... There you get the Mike Patton connection, you get the insane, genuine, intense, hardcore connection, but it also has all of these like much more complicated musical ideas that seem in line with your general interests at the time anyway.
1: Oh yeah, so it's just it's the other guitar player, Steve in Son of Sound. He, he was playing Ironworks and I think it was Milk Lizard. Or I think it was, I don't even think it was Milk Lizard. I actually think it was Fix Your Face. I think it was the first song and I think I was just like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> I was like, what the, fu- what the fuck is this? And he's like, dude, this is Dillinger. I'm like, this is Dillinger? Cause I knew who Dillinger was. I'm like, what, what? <laughs> like, I think that's <laughs> like the only word for like somebody who never heard like any music like that at all. I don't, I don't know if it was immediate. I think it might've took a week but oh it it did actually it did take a while i was pretty interested in them for a while i was listening to them for a bit they didn't really it was when one of the one of us is the killer came out It like sort of like a lot of people don't love that record i love that record but there's a lot of i don't know i feel like it's a pretty diverse record especially for them you know and it kind of i don't know for me context of like music makes a huge difference in whether i like love it or just like it Mm -hmm. um it sort of just i don't know you know, they start, like, just calculating infinity is just, like, beat you over the fucking face, like, until you, it just, and just keep going, and just keep going, <laughs> you know, but to see them kind of go to this, like, more, I don't know, melodious,
0: <laughs> more more alt rock more like hooky kind of sound but yeah, without ever sacrificing like the rhythmic intensity or the you
1: know, that's the thing is that when they when they like get poppy or when they ease up a bit it's it's still ferocious like it's still is just as they fucking mean it just as much that's what mm-hmm. has always struck me about them like greg is still sounds like he's gonna pass out like from fucking screaming like right i don't know what song it is and he is, and that's, a, that's what makes it <laughs> awesome. <laughs> when that came out, I mean, that just, that sold me and like really, then I started to really give like a metal a shot. I think and that was like 2013. And then I, that was also that record really, I was like, I had been experimenting with heavier shit than what I was writing, but I was just kind of like, fuck it. I want to break shit and be loud. I had been setting up Juan Bond at this point, like, you know, something about horses that had failed uh Sun of Sound was still doing stuff but was like on and off and I probably did other shit in that time I played for a little bit in a band called M8 the Lion which was kind of fun they're nice they were, they were they don't exist anymore but they're a great prog band and I, I tried to start one bond around like I'd, I I had I had started it to, to play my own music but I decided I wanted to get in a heavier direction like and I had plans to have like keyboards and wins and shit on it <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: you can't let that whole idea of having the big band die quite yet you're bringing that to the heavier stuff that you're writing it sort of sounds like
1: yeah i mean like the i mean what i'm i'm kind of like trying to experiment with larger orchestrations like i used to do now and mm-hmm. the stuff i'm writing for like follow-up because i'm already trying to fucking get the, i'm trying to already fucking write the <laughs> second one and I'm, i'm getting there i'm getting there yeah, I just, at a certain point, it's almost like, I, <laughs> that's another thing, like, I, I felt like that need to kind of rebel against, like, my fucking self, like, sure, I was just, like, not too far out of music school, but, so I was kind of just like, fuck it, I just want to, fuck it, Would you, I want to keep the violin, because I like it, it just sounds fucking gnarly, but everything else goes, I want to <laughs> break shit, and, like, that <laughs> became, like, the defining ethos for a bit, and... I really feel like, you know, the first couple, like, songs we ever released, Juan Bond did, were really the first songs I wrote for Juan Bond. Like, you know, thinking of it like that um, is really me learning how to write heavy music. I feel like I've I've sort of figured it out.
0: (laughs) So this is, like, while you were still living in Massachusetts or?
1: Yeah, I was still in Boston. Really, I mean, by the time I leave Massachusetts, I definitely have, like, like, sold my fucking soul to Satan for metal. (laughs) For sure. Like, that that transition does not take too long. It's, like, after, like, Dillinger really seals the deal in 2013 for me, I'm just like, fuck it, I love this shit. I love, because it it kind of embodied, you know, heavy music kind of embodied a lot of what I fucking just loved about anything, which was, like, this kind of anything, you know, and this it's not ubiquitous. There's a lot of closed-minded shit in this world you know a the, the lot of metal and, and hardcore implies this anything goes attitude and also like you can't play an instrument who gives a fuck like fuck it that's not, like mm-hmm. no that wasn't the original meaning of music anyways like who gives a fuck like I, it just there was more I don't know this sort of the genuineness of it uh the community the attitude I mean I've just always like been kind of an anti authority kind of kind of person so like you know that resonates with me let me think. everyone who kind of gravitates to the sort of music is that kind of person but yeah I had the conversion did not take too long I started just eating up all this shit and just like checking out all the new you know releases and you know all the fucking I don't know it just it happened really fast that kind of transition into writing more heavy music and listening to more heavy music and just having an intense interest it was almost like where have you been my whole life like I didn't get you in high school but I wish I had I really do. I really think it would have helped me in all honesty. Like, I really wish I had some more visceral music Gets get some of that fucking angst out. Certainly. It's it's weird how I uh, came to that, but I'm I'm definitely glad I did. And and of course, like with anything, you know, those first few songs, like I feel like I was learning to kind of write in this style, but, you know, eventually if you really mean it, it just becomes natural. You don't think about it. You don't conceive of it in that way.
0: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned it. Like, took you a while to feel like you could write it authentically if I'm understanding you correctly what do you think like your early attempts at writing heavy music were not doing correctly that you feel like you've since corrected in your writing
1: not necessarily exclusive to the heavy stuff but it was something like in a a music lesson I did like I guess I would call them composition lessons I did with that guy Matthias he was the drummer at Sleepy Time Grill Museum like I think one of the first times I showed him my stuff, he was like, man, it's like, it's really cool, but like, it's missing something. And I actually like, it was like really, it's really hard to hear like somebody you admire kind of, especially like when you're like you know, tw- 22, or whatever, mm-hmm. 23, like just kind of like diss your fucking music. You just showed him like, oh man, that hurt so bad. And it was just so right though. And I really went back and was like, I think I know what he means. You know, I'm really sitting at this computer and thinking what's going to be clever and what's going to be cool why don't I just like pick up a guitar and just kind of let something happen and then, you know, evaluate the idea, then maybe make it cooler. You know, and I started doing that and he's like, this is exactly, exactly, yes, 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 exactly this, exactly what I'm talking about. You sort of just let it come from a, they, they were so, I took like lessons with both of them and they were just so, I don't know, the way I think about music is just really traceable to them and their ideas because it's just so like I think Carla once said something like, "Oh, let the so- logic of the song kind of unfold itself, and like it just really makes sense as a songwriter." Like, mm-hmm. they're just drifted from the question. Um
0: Yeah, but it sounds like what you're describing is like immediacy and like focusing on letting the ideas that are already present in the song dictate the ideas that come next, rather than sort of having this like overly written and like yeah, you're not gonna
1: yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're not gonna. I think think it really does kind of I do like heavy music cuz I think a lot of people get caught up in that with with sorry they get caught up in that with heavy music like oh I'm going to I'm going to be harder than everyone I'm going to be more intense and I'm going to be mathier. I'm going to do more blast beats I'm going to scream harder you know and and it really kind of just sounds derivative and contrived you know when it's kind of coming from that place rather than a place where it's just kind of natural it just is the expression is what it is. Um, I felt like for a period of time I was kind of like trying to learn and I say learning how to write this music because there is a language, you know, that you learn to effectively utilize to get your kind of point across, get the emotion you want to cross, right? Okay, this thing I wanted to hit hard is not hitting me hard. Like, why isn't it? What did I do wrong musically? What went wrong here? Uh, how can I make that better? And then also like kind of you know uh, rebelling against when you wanna endeavor like you you wanna I wanna I know I need this to be heavy or I need this to be catchy or I need this to be blah 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 or technical or whatever and, and you no 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 fuck that fuck that <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm gonna do what feels good and what feels right for this moment because it, it's, that's what matters I mean I don't know like over intellectualizing music like really fucking bugs me and like and I. I I'm like a theory dude. You know, I, I like, I eat that shit up. I did really well in theory class. I think it's really interesting, but it's just, I, I hate the overintellectualization of music. It, it bugs me so fucking much. It's so not the point. Like, right. holy crap calm down
0: sort of speaks to what you were saying about being like slightly anti-authoritarian or extremely anti-authoritarian i don't want to put wherever you land on that spectrum like having a a, some somewhat of skepticism about like this sort of academic version of music is probably useful (laughs) in that regard well i
1: you know i really i mean i'm really fortunate you know i i went to like state school but we really had some great teachers and i had this we had a world like a fucking world music program that was just really great because uh, it was run by this guy his name was royal royal hardigan who really like like for one really cared about the other cultures he was teaching you about like really deeply it was just, like the kindest gentlest fucking soul like <laughs> ever existed and he also wrote like a thousand page di- dissertation on african rhythms for drum set and mm. could just, and when he played drums, it was just like, you just forgot where you were. He he played every time signature there ever was written in front of you with with absolute ease and no fucking frustration. And, and oh my God, just like, it just blew, it would rock your world. And he, you know, the thing is, he'd also teach a lot of like, what the music meant to these cultures and would kind of point out that kind of this over-intellectualization over-intellectual, <laughs> And kind of idea of art music is really a Western fucking invention that doesn't exist in all cultures, right. thinking of music as some like artistic high noble profession that needs to be this way. And like also that like a lot of cultures have completely oral music traditions, some, some who have musical systems way more complicated than Western, <laughs> Western music yet western music notation is always like you always hear like oh oh that pop singer's classically trained it's like well, who gives a fuck like, <laughs> like
0: right does like, it slap though like
1: yeah does it slap i know tons of classical music musicians who fucking suck like <laughs> 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 you know, well
0: yeah. i would like to to sort of direct the conversation back to the one bond material because one of the things that i really like about your band is it does seem like you've got this really great mix of people who embody both sides of that dichotomy that you're describing like being very technically skilled and very like academically proficient but also you know like Sadu is likely to jump off the stage and while out in the middle of the crowd at you know any given show like this is just like
1: I used to just like throw my guitar like I just (laughs) used to like in the first song I would just throw it it would go out of tune and it sounded like shit like (laughs) <laughs> I just, like I did just have this kind of like fuck you like real attitude kind of about everything mm-hmm. you know but yes it's that's really it's yeah, I'd like that you uh picked up on that because it's kind of how I always think about the band is kind of that those opposing forces of obviously like you know tech there's there's a lot of technicality there's a lot of a lot of density to, to these uh, uh compositions but we also I also name them dumb things like <laughs> For that reason, because because I'm making, Uh, because at the end of the day, I spent hours and hours writing something that most people don't (laughs) want (laughs) to hear. I mean, like like it's aggressive and in your face. Like it, you know. I know we have our world, and I hope it does well in this world. But like, just by and large, like the whole human population, it's scary. Like we're writing scary music, and like, and that's cool. Like that's what makes it cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So So, you moved to
0: New York, yeah, and. At that point, you said that you already had the one Bond lineup, Carnate, like, kind of already put together. Is that the, basically yeah. the same lineup that is on the upcoming album, or...
1: Oh, no. Only Logan, the vocalist, has remained from that lineup. The mm-hmm. first demos we did uh, were me... Andrew was, like, a friend who was, like, in my bands in high school. And in Son of Sound. He's still the bass player in Son of Sound. He's, like, goddamn fucking... Just one of the best goddamn players players in the fucking world he's just kind of one of those freaks in nature it was him girl abigail and seth and logan that's right okay i'm <laughs> make sure i get everything correct in these details then abigail left after a period of time this was after i moved to new york and like the three of the sorry the four of them were coming to new york to play shows or i was going back there, there a lot of traveling back and forth we maybe rehearsed the day before the show or maybe not rehearse you know, it was really just like the travel and that got too much for our violinist. And then I found Kehoe on Craigslist. (laughs) Uh, Only one of two people to respond. Thank God that she was one of them. (laughs) So she joined and that was pretty much the lineup for a while. Uh, Sidhu joined. I wanted a second guitar to round out things and also he plays clarinet and saxophone. So uh, and keyboards so I and he plays everything <laughs> so so I thought that was you know a good a good person to have in the band um and then like just like our, our drummer Seth quit because it really it's just like the distance like when you're a band like this small it really gets hard to do that over a long period of time I think
0: because
1: mm-hmm. it's so resource intensive you know shows and stuff and you can't play that frequently and when you're like a new band you, you kind of want to play a little more frequently just because no one knows who you are yet so the, uh, we looked for a drummer, and you know I talked to our bass player, and just we decided I was like, you know, I think I'm just gonna have most of the band be in Brooklyn because it's just logistically it's just like this is just a nightmare. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Logan, you know, will stay in Boston, but like the singer can stay in Boston. Like <laughs> it's it's a it's a little different. So uh, Sadoo went to school with Vicente, so and Vicente was interested, and I tried him out, and it was, we we really vibed. So Went with him, and then that's the lineup. So there's been a lot of lineup changes. The E whether well, the it's closest to the last EP, but the drummer and bass player are different.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So what, yeah. when and about did you release the EP, and what was like the writing process for that?
1: 2017. Oh, it's December 30th, 2017. I remember that release date. And three of like the five songs were just like compositions I wrote. Um, and then we worked on a little as a band, like when we could, you know, we were kind of like long distance at that point already. So, you know, I wanted things to be more collaborative than just me writing, you know, everything note for note, but that was, you know, just limited by logistics at that time. But Logan still kind of, you know, wrote it, you know, we, we recorded it, uh, and sent it to Logan. And then, you know, he wrote the lyrics. So your basic
0: process is that like you basically write the music and Logan handles the, the lyrics and vocal part of it.
1: Yeah, um, that EP has like one song, and me and Andrew, the old bass player, wrote together. He wrote most of the song actually, and it was it was a song from the when we were in the band, something about horses. So we had reworked it for that for uh, Juan Bond. But that's the the general process is like I write like a for most of the songs, like I'm notating the song, the core ideas. Sometimes really specific. Sometimes I leave things blank. You know, it just really depends. I like to really leave them my songs open because I do really believe my band makes make them better than they were because mm. they know their instruments better than me and they're always going to think of something I never thought of and I want to listen to my music. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to want to have people who are going to do something I wouldn't do because I don't want to just listen to me.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Uh,
1: yeah, so I would just, I would write, like, the, you know, do, like, my notation file and then I export, like, a MIDI I'll start I'll make like a demo where I play guitar to it and send it to everyone with the music and then we all learn it. And then, you know, pre-COVID we we did for this album is we just got in a room room and rehearsed the shit out of it. And then some things really did change, which I thought was awesome. We really did collaborate on something. Some things happened spontaneously in the studio, which was also really cool. There's I think one song in there that was just the only basis we had was I wrote I played keyboard and recorded it. Um, Is
0: that the one with the electric piano at the beginning of it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I just wrote that on a piano and just recorded it and was like very intentionally, like, I don't want to write any other parts. Um, Mm -hmm. I want everyone else to come up But there's, I wrote a vocal part. Logan, like, messed with it in a really cool way that I wouldn't have thought of. So it was like really, really awesome. I like giving people my stuff and see what they do with it. Sure. Like the stuff, like the violin parts that, like, I didn't write. Man, are they good. <laughs> like, wow. And Keo is like fucking magician. Like, goddamn, they're really good.
0: What was the song on the record that you feel like changed the most from your original conception of it to where it ended up?
1: The, the one with the electric piano bombed, certainly because I didn't imagine any of the other accompaniment, except for like maybe like two ideas I had for like the drum feel mm-hmm. um, of that song. I'm trying to think what we really did. What do we really mess
0: with? Because <laughs> I feel like a song like a, About to Rob a Liquor Store" would probably change the most, just because it's like the least Juan Bondi, at least from like listening to the de- uh, the EP and then listening to most of this record. That's the song where I'm like, "Oh, whoa! This band is really trying something very different on this particular tune."
1: It's funny because I wrote that was um, I wrote that in like 2011. Mm. Um, because when i was more into kind of the artsier shit but with this record i really kind of i like bringing things full circle and also not really ever forgetting why he started doing music in the first place you know know, or like going back that's why you've
0: got the eminem feature on the album that's right
1: right (laughs) he said he's gonna fly in once the check clears Yeah, I like bringing back things I I you know, hey, I used to write all this fucking weird ass shit, why not? Like why the fuck not? Like that's really just my artistic like ethos is just why not. Like just mm-hmm. do it. If you want to do it, just do it. So I liked, you know, so that's an older song, but we did we did really work on it. Like, you know, the drum grooves. I wrote a lot of the violin parts, but Keo played them in like a a different way that was really cool um she added but like maybe like half of it she are parts she wrote that i wouldn't have wouldn't have thought of same with like the clarinet on there there's a whole like free you know like pretty much we we're just like it's just free jazz at the end like we were just like <laughs> fucking just wail
0: go just, off. yeah
1: do, just do the thing and just well i don't know we'll see how it sounds yeah it really was kind of like i don't know like it did take us a while to work out the song we played it live a lot which I think helped kind of with the energy because when I, even though that song was really, it's funny, the original version's very meticulously composed, like the ending, I just like, it was like a chord progression. I was like, all right, we just got to figure out what, how we're going to do this. And it, and it did take some time to like kind of figure it out. We added some things to like, Pop has got a brand new bed, like there's a whole like ending slowdown we decided to do. There would just be points where like, someone saying like, oh, the feel should change or we should repeat this measure.
0: How much of that was like responding to what Loken was doing vocally? Because I imagine that if he was bringing ideas that you may want to like accent or reconstruct the song around, if you feel like he had a hook that, or a part that was good enough. like
1: We, you know, for the the these releases we have so far were, yeah, they're completely, almost completely separate, the creative mm. process. We checked in more with Logan on his ideas on this one and suggested things or said, Hey, you should do this. Yeah. Or you should do this here or don't do that. You know, maybe hit this note here. So there was some more collaboration. We're hoping to do it more with the next one to be a little more collaborative and have the vocals be more part of the songwriting process. Um, But right now they have been two separate things. What, you know, which is always a gamble, but Logan's just like really good at it. And something also that he just does so well, and I hope like people pick up on eventually, is that he'll take my stupid joke song titles and write lyrics around them. Uh-huh. And then I to keep the song title. That was how that originally started that I had to keep these stupid song titles. I like, wait, Logan fucking referenced the joke title. Like I gotta <laughs> keep it in. Like that, that makes some, that, that works so well. And it doesn't work as well if the song's not that name.
0: Right. Well, it's almost, you're kind of providing him with a prompt that he has to like solve a puzzle for in the lyrics in order to make sense
1: yeah and he'll make it like about something serious i'm like shit man like and it doesn't even seem silly wow like good (laughs) job (laughs) that's cool that's really i just yeah i I just like peculiarities and just kind of thinking that way
0: you mentioned that you're already writing new material but how, like So it seems like there's, you know, obviously a long gap, like three years can be kind of a long gap for some bands yeah. between an EP and a record. Like, was this all stored up material that you had? Like how, how far ahead are you writing from the EP to this album and then to the future?
1: This, I mean, when did I write? I mean, really, I wrote these songs and was in the, as I really, I'm trying to think of the timeline. I think it was, like, as the last lineup kind of fell apart and as I was looking for new people. So, I mean, like, there was one song that was supposed to be, I think Water, yeah, Water Water was supposed to be in the last EP, but we couldn't learn it in time. So that one is a little bit older. I mean, you know, I, I think by the time we had the lineup, I knew that these, these were already songs that I kind of had were said and done. I think all of them were said and done at that point by the time we had the lineup. But I really wanted this music to be heard because like I've had, I have so much music that I've never recorded <laughs> with any band or never even played from like college and stuff when I didn't have a band or, or people couldn't play my music. <laughs> 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 that happens. You know, there have been times like that. So like I really was like, no, I want, I think. And, and they were the most recent like Juan Bon things that I had written. So I really wanted to commit to getting them done. I've been like writing... Here and there for like the past year. It was just like, I don't know, the past like month I decided like I have enough material to start assembling a second record because I want to follow this up. And because I mean, the really the only reason there is that gap three years is just it's all logistical shit. It's just all so and so around, we didn't have a drummer, so and so didn't have money. uh You know, just like, life it's just like a lot sure. of life shit and just logistics really so that's why I'm like really trying to push to have the material done soon so we can just go back and go right into another one and like kind of you know do the out- output like I've been I've wanted to do with my bands <laughs> for a long time
0: what was your plan for 2020 originally god
1: this album would have came out way earlier maybe the spring, I forget our original plan. I think it was the spring. I think we booked, we booked a release show say St. Vitus in April, I think. And yeah, it just, if we were going to do that. We were going to like do at least a small tour. We were going to really, really do um, all the stuff we had been like kind of waiting to do and just couldn't because something was in the way. And, you know, we felt like, you know, first, first real album, it's like the it's a totally appropriate time to like really, really make the splash, really play local shows, really you do a couple tours, even if they're small, you know, just be present and just really be more active. Um, So we're really looking forward to doing that next year. You know, hopefully, I don't know how long things will take to get back, but we will, I mean, it really depends on what else is going on. If we finish the second album really fast, maybe we won't tour this first album, but I'm, I'm thinking we likely will do at least something. And play a lot of shows because we're, I'm sure everyone, including, you know, especially us, will be starved at that point for it. So I think there will be at least a little bit of a honeymoon period with shows and people. Absolutely. I'm hoping. (laughs) I think (laughs) people for a few months will be like, this is awesome. Before they're like, yeah, I'm fucking busy. I got, I, (laughs) I can't make it, dude.
0: Right. I feel like there's, there's two phases that we need to pass through before things truly return to normal there's going to be the first phase where everyone's still a bit too freaked out to go to shows yeah then there's going to be the insane manic rush to as many shows as possible that'll probably last like two weeks yeah. and then it'll be like oh can i get on the list yeah oh sorry <laughs> yeah couldn't make it tonight you know yeah, <laughs> like no, that no, sort no, of no. shit
1: yeah i mean it depends what venues are left if it's just same bias <laughs> It might be for a little bit.
0: I mean shit, I live off the G now, so I'm happy about that. Like that would work out fine for yeah, me. I mean,
1: it's just like God forbid they they better, they gotta stay there.
0: Man. <laughs> we love you, say Vitus. Please. Stay yeah, okay. Jesus
1: Christ. Like do don't ever go like holy shit, we gotta stay there.
0: <laughs> so do you have any like prospective plans for 2021 outside of just continuing to work on the next record? Or where do you where do you see yourself at the moment?
1: Well, our our drummer went home to uh, Chile, where he's from, and he'll be back in, well, I think the original plan was April. I don't know if his plans have changed, but, you know, hopefully that works with, you know, the timeline of things starting to be okay, and, you know, maybe there's a vaccine widely available by then, or maybe shortly after, Um, so we can start planning things. I imagine we're going to want to play some local shows and break things for sure for sure uh right away you, you know it's it's hard to tell with like touring because you just don't you don't know like because that literally depends on like the whole country being like good to go and right the venue you know you know never mind new york i mean venues in some other parts of the country might be hurting for a while like
0: yeah you, you know. think about like what like cleveland must look like you know yeah,
1: geez i mean fucking providence barely had venues like yep. yeah yeah you know, and they Austin,
0: always, like every single yeah. fucking venue in Austin seems to well, be
1: Bo- in yeah, Boston are all in Providence, they all close all the time. Like, just mm-hmm. I mean, and not, like they do close in New York pretty frequently, but like I feel like Providence and Boston just like it's a revolving door of venues.
0: Why do you think that is in that part of the country? Like, what do you think it is about that?
1: I don't know. Um, I think you know, I think for all people complain about New York, I think that people are more willing to go to shows here because it is just kind of more part of you know the culture I mean a lot of people like to think that's gone but I think it's really hard to kind of root that out entirely it is a music town you know and it was a really famous music town and it still is a famous music town I mean you know people do there are people who live here and like to go to shows I think there just are less of them in Boston and providence in all honesty i mean it it seems like maybe as simple as that not that like music fans are any less fans or anything out there right
0: it's just a numbers Um, game
1: yeah i think it's just a numbers game and also it's public transportation boston like it doesn't the places you know people who can go to shows like who, who go to shows can afford to live like aren't you know like the public transportation isn't like new york city where you can get to like most venue spots from wherever at least you know it might take you a long ass time but you know, in some places in Boston, it's just not even possible. Mm-hmm. Like you should be playing a show out of the middle of nowhere, it's like, oh, what stop it's off of? It's like it's not off a stop. Like <laughs> you gotta take four buses. Right. Are you gotta come.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And yeah, just I don't know, Providence, I mean, your Providence fortunately doesn't have money. There I mean, hopefully it's a rise. There was a good venue called Fat, which was like a bigger venue that I played a lot with um Sun of Sound which had always been good to us and like was a very nice place to play. Very fun, you know, but the other places it would just like, yeah. I remember playing the same place, like that had three different, three or four different names in the span of what, two years or three years. (laughs) It was, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody who's listening to this knows uh, in Providence, it was Jerkies. And then I don't know what it came after that. then it was like industry, and then it was Providence Social Club. Now it's Alchemy, which is a, it's now a cool place. I hope that one survives. The owner there, Davey, is a nice guy and good to bands, which is just, like, very hard to find. Mm-hmm. So I always appreciate it when I see, like, oh, this guy actually, like, gives a shit. That's cool. So, yeah. So, oh, my God, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of fucking, like, you, you know, you think in New York things, fucking switch hands off, and, like, I'm just thinking about that place. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, wow. Like, <laughs> the span of like a few years it was just like four different
0: places (laughs) well you've been extremely generous with your time and i I do want to say i really like the record a lot Uh, i think think it's a fucking sick record even if you're not into math core i think the compositional style is like varied and intense enough that i think a lot of people are going to be into it and i really hope you get a chance to like show it to people in the world and not just like have it exist on the internet like i hope people get to see y'all live in 2021
1: yeah man i hope so too um yeah thanks thanks for having me on it's uh nice talking to you and uh yeah we're looking forward to a a music being back because god damn it (laughs) i need it i need it we all need it
0: you and me both my friend we need it thank you again for listening and thank you, Jay, for joining me. You can find Woom on darktrailrecords.bandcamp.com. You can find more episodes of this show on the Apple Podcast app, or you can grab the RSS feed directly from soundcloudcom lamniforms sounds Please tell a friend if you like the episode, and feel free to email me at lamniforms.band@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.